Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From wobbly legs to camera saves, screaming nutters to free kick specialists, there are many breeds of goalkeeper. But who's the greatest of them all? Welcome to the latest debate with Carrie Dunn, Marcus Foley, Pete Sharland and me, Ben Snowball. An advance warning for the questionable arguments that are about to hit your ears. Let's go. Before we begin, I just want to say a quick confession. Now, we're all youngsters who never saw Lev Yashin, aka the Black Spider, play. We never saw Gordon Banks, or Dino Zoff, or Seth Meyer. And judging someone off their YouTube highlights to appease the football hipsters, well, that isn't what we're about. So anyway, after that, hello. It's absolutely roasting, and we're stuck inside recording a podcast. Carrie, over to you. How are you doing, and who have you picked? Hello. Um, yes, I'm doing extremely well. Uh, usually in the sunshine, but had to come in so I can be filmed for this, unfortunately. But I've picked um, Jose Luis Chilaver. Um, it actually occurred to me on picking him that he was my staple when I played championship manager relentlessly uh, in my teen years. But um, he really came to prominence, I think, after the 1998 World Cup. Um, you probably know him as, as the goalkeeper who takes the free kicks and penalties, but there is so much more to him than that. He's a very acrobatic shot stopper. He was incredibly commanding, very, very charismatic, and also the Paraguay captain at the time as well. So I've gone for him um, simply because I feel like maybe he should have been in the underrated category, maybe. If he'd been one of the if he'd been playing for one of the giants of world football, he would have had much more attention. As it is, he's kind of relegated to a highlights rule quite often, but I think he deserves to be up there with, with the greats. Absolutely. Stunning start, Carrie. Pete. I don't know if you've mentioned this before, but just in case, I uh, just mentioned that you're a bit of a goalkeeper nut. Who have you picked? Uh, for me, there's only one option. It's got to be Gianluigi Buffon. His longevity at the very highest level beats out anyone else. He's kept doing things that other people have stopped doing after 8, 9, 10, 12 years. He is the best is the best keeper at nearly every metric you would want. He's kept reinventing himself as well as he's got older. He's looked after himself fantastically. And as far as I'm concerned, as you mentioned earlier, we haven't seen the likes of Yashin or Zoff but for me, Buffon's the best keeper to ever played. Beautiful, beautiful. Marcus Foley, counter that. Who are you going for? Um, I'm going for a contemporary of Buffon, um, and that is Ika Casillas. Now, personally, I think a measure of greatness is performance level and achievement. I think he's got the perfect marriage of the pair. Um, he's obviously won pretty much everything uh, domestically and internationally. And at his best, he was better than Buffon, in my opinion. Yeah, at his best, at his best, Pete. Um, he was better than Buffon. Buffon has the argument on longevity. But if you look at the things that Casillas has won, not only has he won 
massive trophies, but he's made huge contributions to those trophies. So, for example, 2002 Champions League final, he comes off the bench in the 68th minute after Cesar gets injured. He had already won the Champions League in 2000 with Real Madrid. That final against Bayer Leverkusen is remembered for uh, Zinedine Zidane's volley, but in fact, it was Casillas who won it for them. You look at the Euros in 2008, Spain go in there, great team, but a reputation as underachievers, borderline bottle jobs, quarterfinal against Italy, penalties, saves two, concedes no goals in the knockout stage of the 2008 Euros. 2010 World Cup, there was chat whether Victor Valdez should start ahead of him. He didn't. Um, and in the final, he made that save uh, against Robin. So... He makes crucial interventions at crucial times and he has basically a career in terms of achievement that would match up against anyone in world football. Now, I'm going to preempt, I'm going to preempt the argument against that he had a stark decline. And yes, yeah, he did have a stark decline, but he had a decade and a half of brilliance, which by any measure for any career is greatness. And then the decline was so stark because of the brilliance that came beforehand. So there we go. Thank you. Beautiful. Just a couple of points. It's never good when, um, obviously, you're preempting your own downfall in the introduction. Um, and secondly, uh, Pete Charlin's face, you may not, well, you won't have seen it, obviously, at home because this is an audio format. Um, he was he was not, not very happy when Casillas was compared to Buffon there or in, indeed saying he was his uh, superior. Um, I'll finish this off. I've gone for Peter Schmeichel. Now, as I said at the start, anyone can look good in a YouTube save compilation video with some banging EDM music track in the back. But Schmeichel was so much more than just a good shot stopper, and he was good at that. Here was a guy who could somehow walk that tightrope between giving his defence confidence uh, while also looming as that executioner, in case anyone messed up. Um, He also had that ability to defy gravity. He was this lump. Uh, There's no real avoiding that. A six foot four, 16 stone mound of flesh and bone. But when he flew into the air, you'd expect him to come crashing down a skim, skim along the floor like a stone on water. But he never did. He always seemed to hover. And you've got those... Stunning saves where he reaches down to the to the far corner and claws it out. You can dig them out for all to see. Um, so although Schmeichel was more than his, his shot stopping, he was also a very good shot stopper. I think, I think the greatest the game has seen, certainly in my lifetime. They're going to do something slightly different today. Given Pete is the resident goalkeeper expert, again, we're not sure if he's mentioned it before, um, he's going to go and try and pick holes in all of our arguments. Off you go, Pete. Uh, where should we start? Let's go backwards. So let's start with um, Schmeichel. Um, as I said, let's actually let's say one thing first is that um, I must say that we've all picked keepers who could definitely be considered the greatest of all time, and that is not something that we say every week on this podcast. Um, there's probably about 10, 12 keepers who could probably lay claim to that title, um, but as is the case with greatness, so much of it can be subjective. Um, big issues with Schmeichel, I guess. One of them is that his peak wasn't particularly long. He was only at the top for, well, probably less than a decade, really. Um, when he was good, obviously, he was unbelievable. Wasn't great with his feet. Obviously, came out well, but when the ball was at his feet, looked a little bit awkward and ungainly. And I think that the other case for, say, Casillas and Schiller is that they probably wouldn't have looked out of place in this era in the way that they played with the ball at their feet. It's still, obviously, none of these keepers, none of the four are the level of, say, Edison, for example, but they're obviously better actual goalkeepers. Um, in terms of Shilave, um, I think I would say that the biggest the biggest knock on him really that he did do it on the biggest stage. He did it at the World Cup, and he was unbelievable in that World Cup. But he never did it in Europe at the highest level. And realistically, I don't know if you can be judged the greatest if you didn't do it in Europe at the highest level. Unfortunately, um, it's tough because back then South American football was a lot better than it was than it is now. 
But I still think that he, realistically he could have gone to a bigger club perhaps if he was as good as he he could be perceived to be. Um, for Ika, I think, as Marcus said, he, he knew what was coming. Like The drop was horrendous. And, and a lot of people will point to Mourinho, but this was happening before Mourinho came in, really. And he was once had that... All great goalkeepers, when they're playing at their best, you, as an, as an opposition fan, you're genuinely concerned about whether or not you're going to be able to get past them or not. And you actually just think you can't score. They've got this aura of invincibility. But Ika lost his so quickly and it was so bad. And all of a sudden, shots were just going through him that you never would have seen happen like two or three years prior. I don't know what that is down to. And I definitely don't think it's entirely Mourinho's fault, although I think Mourinho definitely didn't help matters. Um, and I think that that is a big knock against him. And I think also for Casillas, like he wasn't the biggest and he wasn't the most commanding in, in when it came to claiming crosses out of the air, which is certainly like something you couldn't say about, say, Shemichael. Um I don't know who wants to respond first to my criticism. <laughs> I'd like to respond first. Um, Hit me. Yeah, um, I did think what you were saying about whether you need to have done it in Europe at the highest level to be called the greatest. But then I think you can you, you made the kind of counter argument for me. That was a time when South American football was much stronger. Um, Chilavert played at his absolute peak. Um, in Argentina then, um, the South American competitions were strong, the Inter-America competitions were strong, and Paraguay were not a great side, but he elevated them. So, you know, he did come to Europe. I don't think he liked it very much. I don't think you can go around saying people are not a great player or are not the greatest player just because they didn't play for, I don't know, Barcelona at the peak of their careers. No, I agree. Very it, Europe-centric. Yeah, no, I totally, trust me, no, as someone who loves... Football from outside of Europe, I don't like the argument I'm making. But I think for him... <laughs> That's but, a good sign, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just wrap it up now. Flip it back. But I think, I think the issue... I think the issue for Shilavo is that you... A lot of the times... So obviously, again, when you're watching... As you said, I think it's a really important point to make. Is that so many people will just remember him as the set-piece specialist. And actually, he was a bloody good goalkeeper in his own right. My issue from a goalkeeper's perspective is whether the defences and the attacks he was playing with and against really made him look a lot better than he was. So what I mean by that is the defences he would have played behind were probably not as good as the ones he would have played behind had he, say, moved to Italy, for example, where it's tougher maybe to stand out. Often keepers who have a lot of saves on their portfolio have to do so because the defences aren't good enough. On the counter side as well, a lot of his saves sometimes tended to be one-on-one -on -one reactionary types stops where for me, he's not pushing out the ball in a way you would want from a keeper. And I think that a lot of the times the attacks in South America at that time weren't keeping up with the flow of the game as well, which meant that when the ball was loose, there was no one to capitalize on perhaps a mistake that in Europe, you might've seen someone capitalize on. That would be the, the, the argument I would have for why you would want him to go and retest himself consistently in Europe. But as I did say at the start, I do think it's not as bad as some of the keepers who are playing there now who we never get to see, for example. I'd probably, uh, to, to sort of build on Pete's point, I'd say he can be a great goalkeeper, but I think the greatest is a push with, with that point. Because I, I don't think at any, I don't, without denigrating South American football, at the same time, I think at that stage, European football was the highest standard of football. So over a period of time, five, six, seven, eight years, I think you need to be performing at the highest standard just because of how mentally taxing that is to be deemed the greatest. Still think he can be great, but perhaps not the greatest for me. The other thing I'd potentially say is that I think 
is it a difficult way to word this, but I think he perhaps gets a little bit of a benefit in that sort of when he was at his pomp, so sort of like late 90s-ish, like a lot of the other great goalkeepers at that time were either in the decline, like Schmeichel was, or they were in the ascendancy, and you were going to see people like Kahn and Bartes coming through. Like there were, like there weren't as many brilliant goalkeepers as there were at the start of the 1990s or even at the start of the 2000s. So I think at the time, maybe that might have helped elevate him and his case. So I think obviously you're always going to be judged on your peers, but actually at the time he was playing that well, there weren't as many good goalkeepers about. Obviously there were still plenty of them, but it wasn't sort of like, say, when you had the consistent competition between Casillas and Buffon for like eight to ten years. That's not his fault. No, no, not at all. Not at all. He's saying, though, that he was the greatest at that time. That still, you know, must put him up there, surely. It puts him in the discussion, but I think because of the competition, he might have been elevated beyond what his actual skills were. And I think that's why, as Foley says, he probably can't be considered the greatest because there are other keepers who were doing it in a period where they were looking, they were the greatest in the world when the competition was stronger. Let's lay into Cassius then. All right, let's do it. Oh, just, just before that, I just want to place on record my appreciation for Chilavert. I absolutely <laughs> loved him. But the reason I loved him was for his free kicks and running out, <laughs> running out of goal. Um, but, but, for me, but for me, that's still great. But you must have been a small child when you watched him, Ben. That must have been absolutely amazing <laughs> as a small, tiny child watching Chilavert. Yeah, absolutely. You see this because there's, there's kind of two things that are exciting in football. One where a goalkeeper comes forward for a last minute corner or two where an outfield player goes in goal. And Chilavert was just always coming out of goal. So of course that's exciting. Shall we go to Casillas then? Let's pick him apart. Crack on. Fadi, do you want to defend yourself first from Casillas, early Casillas or from late Casillas? Um, mate, to be honest, you just crack on and we'll see how we go. So <laughs> let's, start, let's start at the beginning because I think I was actually going to pick up on what Snowball said about Schmeichel earlier when he said that Schmeichel was the greatest shot stopper. And I don't think that's technically true because I think Schmeichel was the greatest one-on-one stopper perhaps of all time. But Casillas' reflexes were unbelievable. When he first came through, that sort of period, sort of 2000, 2008, 9-ish, like he, I've never seen someone with such quick reaction speeds. And he's talked about it a lot. I think it's, it was part of his childhood and stuff. But um, I think it's maybe tennis related. But he was so quick. Um, the issue. So you're, so you're having a pop at Snowball before. Yeah, but I just like I just want to say that that is that's not a direct quote. I, in no way did I say he's the greatest shot stopper. But you said something like that, didn't you? <laughs> no. Oh, right. Didn't you say that? Didn't you say that was his his strongest facet? Like, oh, no, no, I said he was a great shot stopper, thought, but there was so thought, much more to him. Okay. Well, the audio, the audio will tell us. Someone's lying. <laughs> but, but anyway, so for, but just to confirm, he's not the greatest shot stopper, no. I wouldn't say no. I, exactly. I think, cool. in, fact, in terms of reflexes, Casillas, it, it, it was it was unbelievable. But as I said at the, I said at the top, I think the big knock on him was his height. Obviously, you can't control that. But as a keeper, you need to be tall and commanding in the box. And can I jump in there? Yeah, I think to counter that, you can you can be a keeper who is undersized and be incredibly athletic. Now, if you're praising Casillas's reflexes, his ability to get to those shots speaks to his athleticism as well, which also speaks to his ability to probably overperform in the crossing sort of area. And he was more of a puncher than a catcher. So, well... But, but there's nothing wrong with that. Like, anyone anyone, yeah. anyone who starts, like, badgering on, mostly former English professionals and co-commentary about, like, oh, you should have caught that. Like, no, get, no, no, that's what I'm saying. Get a grip. That's what I'm saying. So he was, he, was, he, was fairly, he was fairly dominant. He wasn't the most dominant. But you put a ball into the box, and at his peak, he'd deal with it. 
might not yeah. be as conventional as some people would want, but he'll deal with it. Not f- yeah. Again, the, the problem is, as I said at the top of it, we are picking very minute holes in very excellent players, and I think for Casillas, I think that was probably the biggest knock. And I think retrospectively, he gets hit a lot for his ability with the ball at his feet. I actually don't think it was as bad as people made out. And when Mourinho was talking about what Diego Lopez bought to them in that regard, I thought that was just a pathetic like excuse. Like, but as well, you can't you can't play in that Spain team that you played in. Yeah, that one. Three consecutive tournaments with a brand of football they played with being poor with a ball at your feet. No. It just doesn't work. There might have been keepers out there who were better suited, perhaps Valdez, but to say he was he wasn't he wasn't very good is, is The problem is is that he went from he went from world class to just okay really quickly and it like it's yeah. really poor in the sense of like I think to be great you do need to do it at a longer period and I think I don't think it's the be-all and end-all because I think if you're good for a very long period, that doesn't make you great. But I think for Casillas, it looked as if he would be genuinely great for, well, the sort of span that Buffon has, but he hasn't managed to do that. And I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know enough about him to know what it is, but it does seem like a mental thing rather than a technical thing. Can can I come back in there on that? So one thing I'd say about that is um, he was, for me, great for a decade at least, right? Probably about Um, that, yeah. And then, then he sort of fell away, and, and the decline was stark. Yes, and I think personally, Mourinho holds a lot of responsibility for that because throughout Kiesias' career, as I said earlier, he wasn't always seen as the automatic number one. He he did have dips within his career, but but came out the other side of them. But I feel with Mourinho, he had a dip, and then he was he was scapegoated. Now there are, there are other reasons going in to why that happened. There's talk of moles and all sorts of bits within inside the changing room. But I think basically. Mentally, he was broken, um, and that that had a massive impact on on his output. And then, but at the same time, I don't think that takes away from his greatness. If you have a decade where you've won basically everything in that decade, I think, despite the decline afterwards, that stands the test of time against any other keeping career. So for me, but if you're basically on trophy cabinet, then yeah, Casillas is a hands down. I mean, what what he won was absurd. Obviously, that Rail team and the Naughty should have probably won at least one more Champions League title, but it still stands the test of time for sure. But then you throw into the fact his performance level within that, and I think that gives him the edge over Buffon. He he made, as I said in the opening, decisive interventions to all of those victories, which you can't always say for people who have great like stat trophy record on their career. No, yeah, that's true. So, it's, it's easily the biggest knock on Buffon is that he's never won the Champions League. Like he's been in, he's been in probably two or three iterations of great Juventus teams and. One of them should have won the Champions League, and it's not it's obviously not entirely Buffon's fault. But realistically, every every player in those teams needs to take responsibility, and Buffon was one of those. I think the counterpoint, I guess, is that Buffon has got the World Cup to show for it, and he was a very very important player during that period. And he was obviously just lost out to Cannavaro in the Ballon d'Or by about fifty ten to fifteen votes or something like that. So I think that obviously puts him right back in the conversation in that regard. I would say it's telling Cannavaro won it though. Yeah, no, perhaps, but I think there's obviously yeah. there's obviously a wider issue here about why a goalkeeper will probably never win the Ballon d'Or again, um, apart from Yashin. So you mentioned that he couldn't play with his feet. Um, couldn't play as harsh, but he he doesn't he doesn't stand up. <laughs> no, and well, he doesn't stand up. But I'd say in that era, you didn't need to play with your feet in the same way that you do now. There's there was less emphasis on a goalkeeper being the eleventh man. Well, that in was possession. That was everything down in Euro '92. Like they just 
just taking the piss with the whole back pass role. But that's the whole point. The back pass role existed when he was when he was growing up. So he he didn't never any need to use his feet because he could just pick it up. And he because of Schmeichel, they had to change the back pass rule effectively because Denmark was just, sneaky as anything to win that title. I'll jump in on the feet thing as well though. Um Is this I'll I'll just quickly before this 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 was aired, Marcus um Marcus texted me and said, there's one weakness about Schmeichel that I'm going to pull you apart on. And he didn't tell me what it was. So is this it? No. <laughs> it's this, isn't it? Ain't it <laughs> I've written You're a paragraph a... to defend this point. Fine. Yeah. Um, so basically, being able to play with your feet wasn't a huge thing. But I think where Schmeichel's weakness was, and he did make a number of errors in this aspect, was coming off his line to clear the ball with his feet. If it was a, yeah. if it was a bounce. So that's not, that's not playing with your feet. That was an expectation when Schmeichel was in. And he, that was, they were errors he made on numerous occasions. And also, 1999, decided to leave before the end of the season. Bayern Munich had actually gone to the press and said that he was a weakness within the United team. All correct. So, all, all correct points. I was reading that article earlier today, actually. All I'd say is, yeah, Bayern picked him out as the weakness. And then here, this weakness in the 90th minute caused havoc in their box that caused United to equalise. So it completely flipped it back on them. And he made some, he was probably, him and David Beckham were probably the only two players to play well in that final. What did you think of Bayern's opening goal? I'd be, I'd be interested to defer to, to Pete Charland, our, our goalkeeping expert. Uh, no, see, so obviously it's it's Basler. It's deflected and in, except it's gone straight through. And it hasn't cut, taken a deflection. I just think he's unsighted and I think it's a good hit. It's his post. It is his post, but... I, so I, he shouldn't be unsighted. <laughs> you got to remember, I, viewed, I watched this as a nine-year-old kid and I loved Schmeichel <laughs> at the time. Um, and, and when I watch it back, because he does that massive clap with his hands, that Schmeichel thing where he feels someone else is at fault. <laughs> I'm going to put my faith in Schmeichel being correct there. <laughs> I think that was probably his greatest strength, if I'm honest. Great pa- goalkeeper. Passing, passing the thing. Oh. Okay, but if he saves that, then we don't get you don't get the greatest finish in modern in modern football's history. In, Fine. In that. Bring that to the debate on the pod about the greatest finish <laughs> in modern football. But when we're chatting about but goalkeepers, but you're, but that's your to... argument. I'm not saying Schmeichel is at fault of that. I think if you watch it in real time, Basler's curled it in. There's a wall. All right, maybe the wall's positioned slightly poorly or whatever, but I don't know if that's... Who, who, who's that bound to? <laughs> you, can't, you can't judge the greatness <laughs> purely down on that one example in the seventh minute of a Champions League. I haven't. Final, I've done a list of things, okay, but I'm still, waiting for the, I'm still waiting for the glaring one. But, but keep going. You, you, you crack on. Okay, so okay, second one was that you, you said he keeps coming off his line and missing the ball. And I agree with that. Um, and I think he got them knocked out against Barnsley in the FA Cup or something ridiculous for doing that. Um, yeah, there's, there's no real counteract to that. All I'd say is, is that there, there are a few errors there and none of them cost them a major trophy except maybe that one FA Cup. Um, um, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure you can, you can say that definitively. That. Of course you can. Like, in, in what so respect? When have, you watched, were... have you watched every game? <laughs> His season's errors were increasing towards the end of his United career. Um, and at the end of his United career, they won the treble. They won every, mm. every major tournament that year. Yeah. Um, and, and that, so his first few months, he was making mistakes. Bayern came out, called him the liability. Sir Alex Ferguson sent him on holiday and he came back and he was absolutely sensational. Apart from in the final. In the final, mate, it wasn't his fault, that goal. Like, I've cleared that up. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with it was his fault, I'm afraid. Can I just jump in here to sort of break this up because I don't feel like you're actually getting anywhere? Um, one on Bayern Munich, actually, uh, the one name I was surprised not to see in the four selected was Oliver Kahn because I think in the he mo- was he was second second for me. I think in the modern era, I think he's actually underappreciated. I think people look back at it and people look back at the late nineties, late two thousands, and you just so, you sort of jump from like Schmeichel to Casillas and Buffon, and 
you forget that at the turn of the century there was Khan doing some unbelievable things. He's the only but he bottled he bottled it in the World Cup final. Like you remember Oliver Khan for spilling it to Ronaldo, and that's that's sadly still the only keeper to ever win the golden ball of the World Cup. Though, how however that is the spoils of the victor because if. United don't go on and, and score two unbelievable last-minute goals against uh, Bayern Munich. That's what Schmeichel's remembered for. It was a massive error in a no, big No, I disagree because Schmeichel... No, the equivalent would be... How have we gone back Oliver, onto this? Hang on, no, no, no. no. Just quickly. <laughs> Oliver, if Oliver Kahn came forward in the last minute and caused an equaliser, that's the equivalent. Schmeichel came forward and salvaged it, whether he was right or wrong, whether you blame him or not. Anyway, Pete Charlin, keep keep the debate on track. Um, so, yeah, as, as I think you've sort of touched on it loosely in the sort of the shouting at each other there, but you, you are picking at very minor holes in this. And I think for Schmeichel, I think it is sort of a touch of what Foley said. And I think... There's something, I don't know, there's something about Schmeichel's mentality which was so elite and so win at all costs that I think there is something in the fact that he would very rarely own up when he made mistakes and stuff. And I think it is actually the hallmark of a great, well, not just keeper, but a great player is actually to be able to admit when you're at fault, when you're at wrong. Like, and actually, like, you can see that for a lot of the great players throughout history, like, they're the ones who come out and say, like, it cost us the game. And, like, like people think, like, apologising in public to your teammates with a cop-out because you could just do it in private. In private. But actually, I think it, it's something important for the fans. It shows that there's a sense of self-awareness, which we don't always get from these, like, these professional footballers and these high-profile athletes. Um, and I think, I, think that, I think the next thing, really, is to try and, for you guys to try and pick holes in Buffon's argument. One, one, one last thing I just want to quickly Oh, for God's sake, come on. Uh, if I said to you, Philip Albert and Davos Suka, what would you say? Okay, no, you've lost me. Linked to his position in, he got absolutely chipped by both of them brutally on two separate occasions. It was scandalously poor. Anyway. Anyway, let's go on to Buffon. I felt like that was a long time on Schmeichel. And, and we're a long time in particular in one football match and one period of play. Got to go granular, Peter. You've got but to go I... granular. <laughs> right, Buffon. Yes, do it. Gary, do you want to lead the, the dismantling? You know what? As I'm sitting here kind of listening to all of you, I'm kind of thinking, like I do every week, I'm kind of thinking how subjective this all is. And I'm kind of coming to the conclusion that maybe we can make an argument for all four of these guys to be greatest in kind of some element of their game, possibly. Because I'm listening to you guys, I'm thinking, yeah, you're probably right. But I still think Chilavert is the only one who would make me pay to go and watch him. If it was him and 10 nobodies, I would go and watch that team. I'm not sure I'd do that for the other three that you've mentioned. Yeah, Buffon, I can't pick holes in Buffon. He's a fantastic goalkeeper. I don't want to pick holes in Buffon. It's miserable and it's completely contrary to my enjoyment of watching football. So I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. But what I do I want to say is that, I don't know, these are great footballers. This is really sad. I'm happy. I'm happy to. Happy to. Go on, then. How can you lay into Buffon, though? Go on, do it. It'd be ridiculous. Towards the end of Buffon's career, and he's he's reinvented himself. Like, he had a bad back injury in 2010, did he, Pete, I think? Yeah, we, you, you and I both know the perils of a bad back and how that can affect one's football career. Exactly, mate. Um, so, I, I think there's massive credit to him for sort of um, changing, and he, he's, he's modified his game, sort of, use more of experience to still sustain a certain level. But I think his level has dropped. But I also do think he's been protected by the teams he's played for. So in the latter part of his career, like you look at Juventus, they've completely dominated Serie A. Then he goes to PSG, they've dominated uh, the French League. So I mean, the PSG saw- season is just a weird mulligan. Like I sort of pretend that never happened. Yeah, it is weird. He, he was, I think, 
in in the United game, he was perhaps at fault for, he, for he, goal. Honestly, he wasn't he wasn't great at PSG. Full stop. I think. Yeah, I think it was just itchy feet, and I think he probably would regret that. Um, I, but I agree with you on what you're saying about the teams he played with. Like obviously, the Italian World Cup winning team was an unbelievable defensive setup. The latter Juventus teams um, under Conte and then Allegri were also brilliant defensively, but. Like Casillas, I guess the argument is that he did step up in big moments. Like he, a couple of times in the last four or five years in the derby with Milan, he, I guess Inter, sorry, he's made some unbelievable stops to keep Juve in it. And I think a lot of the times, especially under Conte's system, he would be called upon early on, the ga- early on in games because they wouldn't be like trying to outscore teams immediately. Like they were often pretty patient and would wait for teams to come onto them before ripping them to pieces on counter. True. I, I still think his legacy has been protected by the calibre of teams he's, he's played within. Uh, and their superiority over the leagues they've played in. I'd be interested, basically, to see how he would have, if you know, you could switch careers in terms of clubs, how Casillas or Schmeichel or whoever would do at different clubs. I think, I think he has been, I think he's been fortunate in that respect. And then, but I think we're then the kind of getting into, I don't know, we're, we're kind of arguing ourselves into a bit of a loop because we said about Silver playing behind not great defenses and in front of, you know, facing not great attacks saying maybe you can't be judged the greatest because of that. Then we're getting into this argument saying that Buffon's played behind defences that are too good. No, no, no. More, more in, in dominant, completely dominant teams, which I think is a slightly different argument in, in, the, latter part of his, in the latter part of his career. But the first decade or so he wasn't doing that. Like, and even though the, even that Italy team in 2006 wasn't dominant throughout the World Cup, it was, good, it was really solid defensively. It wasn't like bulldozing teams in the way that I would argue that Spain in 2010 were, apart from obviously the Switzerland game. I think he, his legacy is enhanced by the teams he's played for in his latter part of his career, which are superior to the other teams who win the league. Potentially. That's, that's, that's the point. But I, think it's, yeah, but I think it also, the fact that he even had a latter part of his career probably speaks to his greatness. I strongly suspect that Juventus would not be picking him unless they genuinely thought he was the best keeper in the squad at the time, even when he was in his late oh, 30s yeah. and early 40s. Obviously now yeah. he's playing second fiddle to Chesney, but that's probably because right now Chesney probably is a better keeper. But it's not as if when he comes on and plays in the Cups or in other games or whatever, he looks out of place. Like he still looks like a very passable goalkeeper. He just happens to be 42. It's a fair point. All, all fair points. I think, these are, I think these are all fair points. And I think as Carrie, what Carrie said is right. We can, we can talk round in circles for ages, but none of us are going to change our opinions, clearly. True, isn't it? The same as every week. Yeah, exactly. The same as every week, which is a good thing because you don't want arguments to fall, up, fall apart all the time. So we're not going to bother with a stick or twist, which is now becoming a theme. So I almost feel like we should just almost retire that element of this. Um, just a reminder to you at home uh, this week does coincide with the Eurosport Cup again uh, so remember to head across to eurosport.co.uk to vote for your favourite greatest goalkeeper of all time um, other than that I think we're done superb effort everyone Harry thank you very much for joining as always thank you very much Pete Charlin thanks for keeping this a glue together oh it's been the one the week I've been waiting for there since we started was that everything you wanted it was that and more <laughs> I, I disagree slightly, but um, Marcus Foley, how about yourself? Great to see you, obviously. <laughs> um, a thoroughly enjoyable chat, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, so thanks. No problem at all. Um, you've been listening to Game of Opinions. Obviously, you know the drill by now. Remember to like, share, subscribe, rate, tell every single person you know. See you soon. Over and out. Mom? 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.